Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening, just after 6 o'clock on VOC 91.3. Welcome to this edition of uh, Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Solomon, and of course, answering your question is Sheikh Ibrahim Was, the resident Imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh, and welcome back. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and to all the listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Shukran, Sheikh. We do um, also note that our questions are backlogged. So as always, I know it sounds like a repetition, but note that the questions is backlogged, some even going back to um, August and September. We appreciate everybody's patience to wait, um, anxiously await their answer, but uh, Sheikh will, of course, give it uh, the necessary answer it deserves. So we, we do do really appreciate your patience. So Sheikh, let's get straight into it because we do still have quite a few questions to get in in this edition. Um, luckily, Alhamdulillah, we will get it. Uh, Maghrib will be at 18.54, so we have somewhat of our own time um, back. All right, so let's get to the first question, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. If you break a wind, must you wash first or can you just take wudu? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Of course, uh, uh, it's quite known to all of us that the, there are certain things that nullify one's hudu, <coughs> such as when you relieve yourself and you go to the toilet and you sleep, etc., or you lose consciousness. And these are things that are obviously uh, well known. It is not vague in any way. And so obviously a person who, who merely breaks a wind, uh, they just need to obviously renew their hudu. There is no istinja, there is nothing else uh, that is needed. Um, and, and of course, uh, this is, although it's a question and I'm answering it, um, I, I think I just need to mention that, uh, of course, people should, uh, you know, not use the radio uh, just, uh, you know, for questioning and for getting knowledge. Um, I appreciate the question, of course, but uh, I think people should also still uh, always seek knowledge uh, of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's many classes available, etc., where these basic things are dealt with mm-hmm. and people yes, are able to obviously benefit from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, although we don't object to any question, yeah. uh, it's just a, a guidelines, uh, you know, for people out there that they don't uh, perhaps only depend on the radio yes, for yes. getting their knowledge, but they need to obviously seek knowledge. And I do understand, yes, there may be some people who really don't have anything except the radio. And if that is the case, inshallah, Allah knows best. Uh, mm. At least they're getting some knowledge uh, from here. But the, the origin is still to go and seek the knowledge. Uh, so in this case, it's a fairly simple issue. There's no nothing required except to, to renew the hudu. And I think a good guide, um, Sheikh, as well, to um, besides m- uh, you, that you must have an ustad to, to guide you and teach you, is also to read up on this, you know, to get uh, maybe a book on basic fiqh. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like everyday things that absolutely. You need to know. And uh, I don't think we have a shortage of that. Especially in this part of the world, we are blessed with people who have written and who have produced. Um, uh, and the, uh, speaking on the topic of books, I mean, the one that I can immediately recommend for anybody who just wants to read up on the basics of their religion, that they need to know things that they need to know on an everyday basis, is obviously the uh, Risalatul Mufida by our eminent Sheikh Muhammad Amin Fakir, which is in all the outlets, you'll find it everywhere. I think every household should obviously have a copy of this book just to guide them through the basics. And uh, inshallah, I hope uh, people will take note of that and actually benefit from those works, inshallah. Inshallah. Our next question, um, Assalamu alaikum. What is the consequences of punishment when while in Idda, the man does not nafaka um, you and has not finished paying your dowry as was agreed upon? 
Yeah, he will remain responsible, obviously, to settle uh, whatever is outstanding and what is owed to you. So there's two parts. There's the issue of not uh, giving you nafaka or, or giving you what you deserve during your idda. And also there's the issue of uh, the dowry or the mahar. And both of these issues are important. And he will remain responsible for them They will never really uh, fall away Or, 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 or just be ignored uh, And I've said many times before That this is, this is a responsibility Which a, a husband must take very seriously uh, It is part of his amana When he marries uh, a woman That he sees to her needs And he has taken this contract You know, It's a, it's a covenant that he made with Allah first Before anyone else uh, In fact Allah calls it in the Quran Mithaqan uh, ghalidha you know, the union between husband and wife is termed uh, by Allah Ta'ala to be mithaqan ghalidha. This means it's a very, very serious contract and a very serious covenant between the two parties. So yes, if there is divorce and the woman is under idda, there, there is still certain laws that apply that we have to abide by if we want the pleasure of Allah. And one of that is to look after them and to give them whatever they need during that idda period. And it's a, it's a, a way of consoling them, of course, uh, going through a difficult time. And as far as the mahar is concerned... Uh, and the dowry, like I said, that, that is something that will never, never fall away. You owe that money to her if it was agreed upon. And it is something that she, she can claim from you. So much so that should you even pass away and that money was not settled, uh, she can actually go and claim that money as a portion of the inheritance, for example, before the inheritance is, is distributed as a debt. She can actually claim that particular money. Uh, so uh, it's very important that we... Um, that we stick to these rules if we want, you know, our lives to be filled with the blessings of Allah, that we stick to these things. And I think I've mentioned it before that uh, what happens is it appears that when there's a divorce or when there's a separation, that people are very easy to sort of show the worst side that they have. Mm. And wanting to get back at each other, wanting to spite each other, and this should not be. I mean, we should, if we if we're going to part, we should part in good ways, and we should try to keep our dignity in place. You know, mm. uh, when you said the the nikah, you know, when you made the nikah in the masjid the day that you got married, the imam, you know, part of what he says is imsakun bi ma'roof aw tasrihun bi ahsan. You will hold on to this wife with righteousness, and if you have to part from her, you will do that also with righteousness mm. and with goodness. Uh, and so this is my advice for for this particular. Rather that uh, he sees to the needs of his wife, of his ex-wife, that would be if she is divorced, she, she, she still has that haq over you that you look after her and give her the basic uh, nafaka that she deserves, as well as whatever whatever dowry money was not paid up, it's a debt that remains your responsibility uh, until you you pay it, and so uh, it must be paid, it must be given, uh, you know, and it must not be forfeited in any way. Shukran, Sheikh. Uh, moving on to our next question. Salam, my husband is in Victoria Hospital in Weinberg. Can my daughter open and close the mosque? She has her haid and can she go in and put off um, on the lights? It's only me and my daughter and I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah, it would appear to me that uh, the father, the father who is sick, is probably the caretaker of the mosque, and so uh, he can't fulfil his duties. And now she's asking if she can do it, even if she is in a state of hide. And yes, she, you may do that. You may enter the masjid because your intention is not to remain in the masjid, but your intention is just to put on the lights or to open the doors, etc. Uh, and this is not something which is uh, prohibited because, uh, firstly, there's a need, and obviously, uh, if the masjid is going to remain closed or if the lights are going to remain off, then the musallis won't be able. To make salah, or they won't be able to 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 enjoy the comfort of that facility. So you are rendering that service. And uh, there's an interesting uh, thing that actually happened with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. One day, you know, he was um, in the masjid and he asked uh, Sayyidatina Aisha radiallahu anha 
to to give something you know that he wanted in this it was a carpet that he wanted to pray on and she said to him uh, you know i have my menstruation mm. and he actually said to her yes but your menstruation is not in your hand you know you're not going to contaminate mm. anything it's fine bring me what i need and what the ulama have concluded from this um, uh, and i've i've come across a statement by imam al baghawi imam al baghawi is one of the great scholars of hadith where he actually says there's an indication uh, in this hadith that a woman may enter the masjid if there is a need for it. Of course, not with the intention to remain behind if she has hate, but just with the intention of fulfilling that need. In the Quran, for example, Allah says that she can't pass through from one side to the other in order to reach her home, for example, if it is a thorough way. She can do that. Uh, the scholar Imam al baghawi also says in his book, Sharh al-Sunnah, that this hadith of Sayyidina Aisha shows that if a woman has to do something quickly in the masjid and there's a need for it, and she has hate, she can do that and just fulfill the need and then come out again. So in this case, this woman who's putting on the lights, who's uh, locking open and closing, inshallah, there shouldn't be no no issue about it, and she should continue doing that. It's a good service that she's giving to the to that particular community, and uh, of course up uh, until such a time when her father is again in good health to fulfil the duties himself, inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. Uh, let's just take a short break uh, from questions and answers, and we'll be back with more of your SMSs on four seven nine one three. Radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. A very good evening to you. You tuned in to 91.3 FM in the Greater Cape Town area, 95.8 in the beautiful mountains of the Boland, and you find yourself in the Atlantic seaboard. It's 89.8 and 90.9. Um, keep the station locked on. Do not move it. And also, if you want to listen to any of the shows um, on VOC via podcast, you can log and register onto iona.fm, download it, and listen to it whenever and wherever you can. We continue with questions and answers. We uh, do apologize for your question being answered rather late. Um, there has been a backlog, but we will deal with your question as they come in, inshallah. So keep sending those SMSs on 47913. We have uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Amwas in studio with us answering your question. Uh, Sheikh, the next question is, can a woman go greet a man that goes for Hajj? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <coughs> In terms of uh, greeting, obviously this is something that uh, is uh, recommended that we visit each other when people leave for Hajj. And I think we've got most probably of the most beautiful of traditions as far as this is concerned, where there is an exchange of greetings, an exchange of gifts, perhaps there's some food given to people coming, and also well-wishing, you know, uh, that takes place and du'as that takes place. And so all of this is recommended. Um, in the case, if it's a woman greeting a man or a man greeting a woman, as long as the ad- adab are observed, uh, then, then there should not be a problem at all. And the adab would be obviously that uh, they won't uh, be in each other's company all alone with no one else, etc. And uh, there will be no obviously shaking of hands and those kinds of things. But in terms of visiting and making dua and all of that, that is all recommended. And uh, in our setting here, mostly what happens is there's all, always a, a multitude of people that comes to greet the hujjaj. So there's never the issue of being alone and so on. So there's nothing wrong for a woman. And sometimes this happens if it's a neighbor, for example, and you're a single mom and you want to go, single woman, you want to go there. There's nothing wrong to go and visit and, and greet that person for hajj. Um, as long as I said, the, all the adab and etiquettes are actually upheld. 
then there is absolutely no problem. It's something that remains recommended and that remains uh, something to be practiced because it encourages, you know, uh, good wishes and du'as for each other and good relations with each other in the community because we're always part of that community and whatever happens in that community, we either contribute or, you, or we try to also play our part as far as that is concerned. Like I said, these are of the most beautiful of, 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 of traditions that we perhaps have in this part of the world. So yes, uh, you may do that, inshallah, as long as everything is in order. There should not be any issue. Shukran. Uh, Salam, my husband has a child while being married to me, gave him conditions, but mother-in-law don't want to abide by my rules. What can I do? Uh, I suppose the first question that I, I would probably pose to you if I were to speak to you is to ask, you know, the rules that you put down, were they reasonable ones? I mean, mm-hmm. were they ones that can actually be implemented? Because uh, it, it is always sort of very touchy and tricky if you are going to have, you know, a, a, a arrangement uh, with... Uh, your husband seeing another child from another person, another wife. There's always going to be some tricky things there that needs to be ironed out. Um, so, yes, I, I would want you first to sort of uh, look at your reasons that you had given and your rules that you had given. Do you consider them to be absolutely reasonable? And uh, if you feel that they are absolutely reasonable, then the only way that you're going to resolve this is is obviously to communicate to your husband and to your mother-in-law mm. why, why you feel those those things must be must be abided by, or why you think those things think those things must be in place. Mm. And the best way to do it is to talk about it. I mean, you you can only solve it if you are going to explain and give uh, you know uh, elaboration of what is happening. Mm. Um, and sulh, you know, always to have uh, to always have good um, consolidation of feelings and. Emotions and also reconciliatory uh, attitudes. This is something which 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 Allah Taala wants from us, right? Mm. Especially this. This may be not an easy thing, because he obviously has to see this child to look after. So he's going to be in contact with the child's mother, for example. So there's certain things there that you would want to put in place, and you just need to see whether they are actually uh, you know good reasons and 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 valid reasons that you are putting down and valid conditions that you are putting down, and after that. You know, if 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 because I can mention this, there's a hadith uh, which perhaps is is appropriate to say here that uh, when you make a condition on someone to do something, you know, whether it's business, whatever it is, that uh, provisionally uh, those conditions will be okay, and people must abide by conditions as long as it is not a condition that makes haram that which is halal or that Mm -hmm. makes halal that which is haram. Then obviously the condition also will not be valid. So let's say you make a, a condition such as, you know, he should only see his child once a month, for example. So that would be making haram, which is halal. Because if he wants to see his child more than that, then he's the father. He needs to look after the education of that child. And he needs to see to the daily needs of that child. You cannot tell him only once a, m- a month, for example. Hmm. That would be unreasonable and it would be not acceptable in, in, in the deen. So conditions are okay and rules are okay that you put down as long as it does not clash with uh, the interests of others and it long, uh, uh, doesn't make halal what is haram, etc. And I think with dialogue and with good communication with both your mother-in-law as well as your husband, um, hopefully you will be able to, to iron out some of these disagreements and grievances that you may be facing, inshallah. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. Is consummation of a marriage a fault, especially when it's two senior citizens entering into second marriages that their spouses had passed on? Yeah, from a contractual point of view, if a person gets married, uh, you cannot in a contract stipulate that there shall be no consummation of marriage. Because if you do that, then the contract itself will be invalid. 
right? You cannot, for example, get married and stipulate there that I'm getting married to you on the basis that you shouldn't expect from me to consummate the marriage. If that is the case, the contract will not be valid. Why? Because simply the issue of consummation and intimacy between spouses is a natural act. It's something mm-hmm. that is part and parcel of what marriage is all about. Okay, so from a contractual point of view, it will not be uh, uh, valid to do that. However, if let's say they they get married as usual, they are an elderly couple and they get married, and they just by themselves, their feelings are that they haven't consummated the marriage. You know, mm-hmm. they they don't feel uh, up to it to consummate the marriage. So it's like a, just a kind of an unwritten kind of agreement that they have or understanding that they have. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, essentially, because uh, like I said, it's a natural thing. So uh, if you feel not to to do it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong as long as it is not stated in the contract that this mm. is what you expect. Um, or, or what what one must, however, just take into consideration is that if a marriage is not consummated, then there are certain rules that will obviously apply to that situation specifically. Okay, uh, and I can just mention a few by way of example. Um, a marriage that is not consummated between uh, two spouses, it will mean, let's say, divorce takes place in that particular marriage, then that woman will not be uh, asked to actually go in a idda. She won't have any waiting period. Mm. So that's a special rule that applies to a marriage where the marriage was not consummated. And then there's also issue of the dowry. Now what would happen is if a woman receives a dowry in a marriage, then the dowry is essentially hers. Uh, but half of the dowry can actually be taken back if there was divorce before consummation, for example. Okay, so let's say the dowry when they got married was 500 rand, and then they got married, but unfortunately they did not consummate the marriage, and then the husband divorces her. Mm. And in that case, the of the 500 rand, 250 rand can actually be taken back from that 500 rand if the marriage was not consummated. So these are just some uh, laws and rules that apply in terms of um, uh, marrying and not consummating the marriage. Uh, so if they if they do that just by way of that is the arrangement while they are now married that is the arrangement, inshallah that is no problem. But they should not make it a a rule which they kind of feel that you know uh, this is uh, it and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And if the one partner wants and the other doesn't want you, so that w- that is going to cause problems. And 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 the, the partner is not able to refuse. You know if if the other partner is asking mm-hmm. for intimacy because that is what marriage is about. Mm-hmm. But if they themselves mutually decide to do that, then inshallah I don't uh, foresee that it will be uh, any problem or any issue at all. But you just need to consider those special rules that apply in those circumstances. Shukran, Sheikh. And I think at the end of the day, with uh, all of the advice given and the rulings here um, that Sheikh Ibrahim um, is, 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 is conducting, that it is best always for us to go and seek um, help from our local imam or sheikh as well for guidance. So with that, let's just take a short break. And after that, we will continue with questions and answers. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum, a very good evening. Welcome back. I'm Khawa Sonaman. In this edition of Questions and Answers, we welcome back as well Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz. I'm taking your questions on 47913. Next question is Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Shukran for all the advice. I'd like to um, know if a child is conceived out of wedlock, what right does the father have over the child? Kanala. 
Uh, yeah, essentially there is no rights and there is no connection really between uh, the father and the child because the child is an illegitimate child. So there's no uh, relationship in terms of inheritance or in terms of um, all those other usual relationships that, 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 that are to be found if the child is a, a legal child from a legal marriage, etc. So essentially there is no connection really between uh, father and child. So he cannot claim anything over that child and he, he cannot make demands, etc., etc., right? As long as the child is considered to be a child that was born out of wedlock. And uh, yes, uh, there, there are, for example, there are certain ways around um, uh, the, the inheritance issue and other issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do advise this to people from time to time, uh, is that uh, sometimes you know that your, your illegitimate child cannot inherit from you. So they don't get a specific portion the way that your own child would. Mm -hmm. But that does not stop you, for example, to give what we call a wasiyah. A wasiyah would means you can put in your will a certain amount which uh, can be given to anyone for that matter, whether it be a family member or non-family member, whether it be a Muslim or non-Muslim, you can give to an organization, to an individual, up, mm. an, up to one-third of your estate. You can give to any cause what you feel at all. So this illegitimate child of yours can obviously also fall, fall under that category where you can give one-third of your estate as a wasiyah or a bequest towards that child. Uh, and, and in that way, also if you feel you know to fulfill some, some kind of monetary rights over that child and give that child that particular part of your inheritance, then you are obviously at liberty to do so. But over and beyond that, there is no real connection and there's no real demands that the, the, the father, because he's not considered the biological father or the or rather the legal father, although mm. he may be the biological father, he's, he's not considered to be the legal father of that child since the child was obviously born in a way which uh, Islam does not uh, accept or does not condone. Right, uh, so that is as far as um, uh, that child is concerned. Yes. Shukran, Sheikh. All right. Assalamu alaikum. Please ask the Sheikh to elaborate. For um, for as to my knowledge, a man cannot marry his wife's sister if she is still alive. Shukran. Yeah. The the question of marrying two sisters. Uh, the ayah in the Quran in Surah An Nisa, that is chapter four, verse twenty three. The ayah is quite clear where Allah Taala says, "Wa antajma'u bain al illa ma qad salaf." You are not allowed to marry two sisters at the same time, except that which preceded. Mm. And what this means is in previous times, before this ruling came down, there were some of the companions that used to be married with two, two sisters, etc. So in the past, Allah is not going to hold you responsible for that. But now that the laws of Islam uh, was established, you, the, the ruling is that you cannot be married to two sisters at the same time. Now, um, if you are married to one of them, right, then obviously the other one is haram upon you. Now what happens if you're no longer married to the first one? Are you now able to marry the second one? Now, obviously, I think that what the, que what the question is alluding to here is that you are not allowed to marry the second one unless the first one dies, right? And that is not mm. true. It's not, it's not a condition. You can marry the second one even if the first one is still alive, but on condition that she's completely divorced and Aidda is over, for mm. example, right? Or if she passes on. So let's say the, the, the husband divorces the first sister, right? And she goes under Idda. During that Idda period, he is not allowed yet to marry the other sister. Because during the Idda, he can still consolidate his wife or he can still sort of uh, reconcile, etc. So that is why during that period, he's not allowed to marry the other sister. However, once that is done, and the Idda is final, and the Talaq is final, then nothing stops him then to propose to 
the other sister. So it is not a condition that the sister must have passed on completely before you can marry the other sister. Um, what the ayah is essentially saying is that you should not join in marriage two sisters at the same time with a contract that uh, joins both of them. Whether it is a contract, one contract for both of them, and obviously there's also some detail as far as that is concerned. Let's say somebody didn't know, mm. and he went to marry two sisters in one contract, in the same contract. Mm. Then by Sharia law, both contracts or both marriages will be invalid Because it was done all in one go mm. But if he did it uh, consecutively Where he married the first one in a contract And then the second one in another contract mm. Then the first one will be valid and the second one will be invalid Okay, So those are some details that uh, obviously can be added uh, But just the general ruling is you can get married to the other sister As long as the first sister is completely divorced And idda has expired or it was a final divorce, then you are able to marry the other sister uh, during that time. Shukran, Sheikh. Moving on to the next one. Um, Assalamu alaikum. Sheikh, my husband gave me a talaq without any counseling or consulting me. I would like to know if this talaq is valid. We are still married by South African law. However, he has remarried. Uh, Please advise. Shukran. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, it's not the, the proper thing to do. It's, uh, it's improper for a, a person to give talaq without speaking to his wife and without letting her know why and what and what the reasons are. Yeah. That is definitely not the protocol and the, the etiquette that goes with that. However, the talaq is not uh, dependent on the consultation or the approval of the wife. Okay, the talaq is something which the husband uh, has the right over. And if he does it without consultation, it would be wrong of him to do that, but the talaq is valid nonetheless. Okay, the talaq would be considered valid. So in this case, if he gave a talaq uh, with, with, with its proper, obviously, uh, connotation. So here what I mean by connotation is uh, one needs to know how did he pronounce this talaq. Was it done in pure, simple words or was it done in ambiguous words and so on? Those are the details that we need to hear. And if it is plain and simple words which can only mean talaq, then yes, then the talaq is valid, whether the wife was consulted or not or whether she knew or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but if it was ambiguous words, then obviously we need to find out by him what he meant by those words, right? And I want to reiterate and say this is not the proper procedure just to divorce someone without letting her know without. That's why we as imams, we, what we always do is when people come to us, there's no such thing as just, you know, saying, okay, talaq, okay, talaq, we give a paper and you talaq. There has to be procedures, there has to be counseling, we have to see both parties and we have to listen to them Um, and we have to try to uh, always reconcile. That is our first point of departure. Our point of departure can never be just to talaq like that. That is the adab, that is the, the proper protocol as far as this is concerned. Um, and in terms of uh, still still being married by South African law, um, obviously that will not uh, impact in terms of uh, the Sharia ayah as far as validity for him to get married to someone else. Uh, and of course we know that he is eligible in any case to marry two or three wives, for example. So he doesn't have to wait for the South African law thing to come through before he wants to marry someone else. Okay, it doesn't, it's not a, a must that he has to wait. Mm. Although I still feel that there is one thing to say that, you know, the ruling says it's permissible, but it's another thing to say what is the proper protocol. Mm. Okay, and I believe in this case where there's no protocol followed, where the wife is not consulted or not even told, she must mm. just find out later on that she's divorced. This is certainly something which Allah cannot be happy with, which mm. the Prophet cannot be happy with, which Islam cannot condone because it's not proper. 
However, it still bears the consequences hmm. which uh, is set out for uh, um, for actually uttering those words of divorce, etc. Shukran, Sheikh. Salam, my husband and I maintain our children and household together, but we don't love each other, and he still expects me to sleep with him. Do I have a right to say no to him? We don't have to dissolve the marriage because we want to be a family for the sake of our children. Yeah, as long as uh, you are still married to each other, right, and you haven't legally divorced from each other, then no, you don't have a right to refuse. Whether you're now you know, saying that you don't love each other or you've got a certain unwritten agreement that you don't want to be with one another, as long as you are still legally married to him, he's got that haq over you. And just uh, as he has that haq over you, you have certain rights over him. Mm-hmm. He must still look after you. He must still give you nafaka. He must still look after the children. He must still treat you kindly. All of that, right? So as long as the marriage is in place, there is no way that we can say that it is allowed for you to refuse him. You know, if you wanted to be intimate or you wanted to do uh, what a marriage requires, etc. There's nothing that can stop him from that. Um, and you must remember, uh, let's say the situation is exactly the way that you describe and the two of you are no longer in love, the way that you put it, uh, but you are still married, um, uh, but you are just remaining together for the sake of the children. So you're bringing the children in as a, a, a strong reason why you don't want to separate. If you are not going to have you know, what every man and woman in a natural state desire, Right in terms of intimacy and those things, what do you think is going to happen? Hmm. Right, obviously you are going to start looking elsewhere. Even though you are married, still you are going to be looking elsewhere. And he may commit something that is haram. You may commit something that is haram. So it is not advisable for the two of you to 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 be living like this. Right, you must come to some kind of conclusion. And yes, the the children is obviously a good reason for us to try and resolve our issues. And yes, we do consider them, but at the end of the day, we need to consider ourselves also, hmm. right? We need to be balanced about it because we also have needs, right? The man and the woman, and this is natural. Allah has given that. Allah has put that in uh, the heart of a man and in the heart of a woman. So we should not deny those natural things which Allah has given us uh, because it can lead to greater problems, right? So what I suggest you do is that if you really don't want to be with each other, you really don't want to uh, be married anymore, then obviously you'll have to dissolve the marriage. And if you dissolve the marriage, that does not mean you you are giving up your rights as far as the children are concerned. Mm -hmm. You'll just have to come to some kind of an agreement and you have to make your children uh, understand that, look, this is what happened. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. things didn't work out, but we are still there for you Mm -hmm. as mother and father. We will not forsake you and have a good agreement as to how you're going to spend time, etc., so that they don't feel uh, left out or they don't feel also that they are, uh, um, you know, completely, they will be affected, no doubt. Mm -hmm. They will be affected. But at least give them the comfort that you will be there to support them, etc. So I don't believe, just the, the quick answer to this question, mm. I don't believe you've got the right to refuse him unless you dissolve the marriage, in which case uh, everything else will, will, will then fall in place as if you are no longer married. It's a very sad situation, Sheikh, if I, if I could just comment, because um, you've seen so many marriages, um, uh, children come you know, damaged out of so many marriages because they are, they are loveless and the parents just stay together for the sake of the children and then they don't even, they, they, without even realizing they're actually hurting the children mm. by not showing love, by not showing compassion towards each other mm. because 
they are the children's first example. So yeah, they absolutely. have to really relook at the situation. That is another angle that we that really needs to be considered because the children will be growing up, like you said, with uh, 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 with role models that are not really role models because mm. then they will think that is how life should be. Mm. You know, mommy and daddy don't need to love each other, or mm. mommy and daddy can just live past each other, mm. and they perhaps also grow up, like you rightly say, yeah. with that same Acceptable, kind of yeah. mentality, and they go into marriage and it just repeats itself and so on. And so yes, they should as adults rather sort out the issues and come to some kind of conclusion what they want to do with their marriage and how they want to proceed. Shukran. Assalam. I would just like to know, uh, my husband is in prison three years now. Should I remarry him, um, seeing that it is uh, we're so long apart? No, you don't formally uh, have to, you don't have to remarry him because you're not separated as such. Um, mm. As long as your marriage is still intact and he did not divorce you or there was no fasakh issued, no matter how long the period of time is, mm-hmm. um, you remain married to him um, and you remain his obligation and you remain his uh, under his duty. He still needs to take care of you in whatever way is possible for him And nothing is dissolved unless you decide to dissolve it So whether it's three years, whether it's 30 years for that matter You will still be your husband, you will still be his wife So you don't have to renew any vows or anything like that If he comes out, you just carry on as a a couple like you always were Mm. And obviously you work towards uh, building your marriage you know, Or or, or keeping your marriage together And you work towards making a life out of uh, this marriage And and, and, and making a success of the, let's say, a reunion Mm. That occurred now between you and your husband But there is no no, no, uh, nikah required in this this regard Shukran, Sheikh Assalamu alaikum Sheikh, does a person's wudu break on entering a bathroom or toilet? And if I have a hustle for the Monday fast, do I have to hustle again for the Thursday? Shukran. Yeah, um, there's two questions here. Um, the first is uh, with regards to hudu uh, breaking on entering the bathroom or toilet. No, the, the, the hudu does not obviously automatically break if a person enter into a bathroom. Okay, like we said uh, previously um, in the show, that there are certain specific things that will break your hudu, which mm-hmm. is clearly spelled out in the elementary books of fiqh and so on, which we obviously need to equip ourselves with. So definitely uh, we need to do that uh, because these, these are da- daily things yeah. that we cannot do without. So the hudu definitely will not break by mere entrance into the bathroom. And the second question, there is no relationship between ghusl and fasting, mm-hmm. right? To have a ghusl for fasting, the only time that there can be some issue is if a ghusl is needed and that is if a person is, is in a state of ritual impurity mm. let's say there was intimacy between husband and wife and they, they wake up in the morning and they wanted to fast for that day right then the sunnah although it's not compulsory the sunnah is to take a bath before the adhan of fajr goes okay but let's let's say they don't take a bath before the adhan of fajr goes they wake up a half an hour after fajr let's say mm. does that mean they cannot fast no, it does not impact. The ghusl does not impact on the validity of fasting. Okay, That's the only time that there is a relationship between ghusl and fasting. In this case, it seems like it's a sunnah fast that is done on Thursdays and on mm. Mondays. So there's no relationship between fasting and, and taking a ghusl. You don't have to take a ghusl. There's no requirements of that. You just make your niyyah and you fast. You abstain from the things that you are supposed to abstain from. Uh, and, and that is what it's, uh, what it's all about. There's no other requirements for fasting except your, your niyyah and abs- abstention from those things. Okay, Sheikh, let's just take a break from now and we continue with your questions um, just after this. Stay with us. My radio station, your radio station.
our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. And we're in our last segment of this edition of Questions and Answers Forum with uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurz answering your questions on 47913, giving you a detailed answer to that as well. Uh, before we do uh, have our Maghrib Adhan, which is today at 1854, uh, inshallah. Right, the next question for now is uh, Can Sheikh please explain what does waqaf mean? Shukran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, the concept of waqaf is a type of charity uh, or endowment or trust that one uh, puts in place uh, that allows people to benefit uh, from uh, that particular property or whatever one has made waqaf. Um, and it is, in a, way, in a sense, it is uh, signing ownership of a property or of uh, any uh, tangible asset that a person have, signing it over to the ownership, uh, you know, of the of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If you can put it in that way, so you 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 dispense the ownership of it, and you make it as such that there will always be people that will benefit from the proceeds or from the uh, advantage that they get out of this waqaf. And there's obviously a, a number of of rules uh, pertaining to the waqaf. We cannot in one answer just give all of them, but it's it's a process of uh, let's say I've got a piece of ground which I feel um, I don't have a, a need for, and I wanted to just make a sadaqa, you know, with it, in a sense that uh, I say that this ground I give it uh, for uh, the construction of uh, a school, for example, and. Um, you can obviously, as a person who puts up the waqaf, you can also put uh, your conditions down. What type of school, who must be the people to benefit, what type of you know, activities. You've got the right to do all of that. When you make a waqaf, you can put obviously certain conditions. And the issue of the waqaf is it remains permanent. Once you've made that decision that something becomes waqaf, you cannot retract it. Okay, and you cannot a waqaf, for example, cannot be sold. It cannot be rented out, etc. It must only be given for the sake of Allah, and people will only benefit from it continuously without uh, any restriction on time. So time is also important. A waqaf cannot have a, a, an expiry date, for example. I can't say I make this waqaf only for one year. That will not work, right? And the concept of waqaf is basically to put out a sadaqa that is perpetual. That uh, people can perpetually benefit from uh, and, and those people once again You've got the right to establish who those people will be Because some people for example They make a waqaf and they say that uh, This uh, it's, it's a house that is rented Okay, and this is a common thing in, in certain Muslim countries. So they've got uh, rented places uh, that a person would leave uh, behind uh, after his death as a waqaf, or he'd already in his lifetime he would sign it over and he would say whatever rentals come from this particular house is for a specific masjid. Hmm. You know, whatever proceeds it goes to the masjid's coffers. Or whatever comes from this house, it goes to a certain uh, organization that looks after the poor. So we are allowed to do that. We can even give individual people the privilege to benefit from the waqaf. Those are all things which is allowed. And all of this stems from the uh, another concept which we are perhaps used to, and that is the concept of sadaqatun jariyah. Okay, it's the very same thing, a perpetual charity, where the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned in a hadith that um, if a person dies, If a person dies, everything comes to a standstill except three things. Three things will continue, even if you are 
deceased and you've been buried, three things will continue to benefit you. And those three things, very briefly, is number one, ilmin uh, yuntafa'ubi, any knowledge that you left behind that is beneficial to others. Number two, sadaqatin jariya, a sadaqa that is perpetual, like the building of a school or you donated some money towards a school. That is a sadaqa as long as the school stands, you will get the reward for it. A masjid, a um, hospital, whatever it may be, that is all sadaqa jariya. And the third one is waladin salihin yad'ulah. If a person left behind a pious child, a good child that can make dua for him or for her, then that duas are accepted by Allah and that is a perpetual and continuous sadaqa on that parent uh, from uh, on behalf of the child to the parent. So this concept of waqaf, it stems from this hadith where we make a sadaqa that is perpetual. And like I said, once we make that waqaf in my lifetime, if I say I make this grounds waqaf or I make this house waqaf, uh, I make it at, as an endowment, I'm basically, uh, for, for, I'm basically uh, forfeiting my right of ownership of this property for the benefit of people to, to use, etc. Uh, and of course, there's a number of other rules that must also be added, um, which I, ca- I cannot now explain in detail, but, uh, uh, but, the, but this person can obviously consult also with a scholar or read up. So there's some books also written on fiqh that speaks about the waqaf and so on. Um, but this is basically what it is. Mm. Um, waqaf is also, for example, just one other thing that I have to mention. Uh, if I put up a waqaf, it must be for something that is lawful in Islam. Mm. I cannot put, put up a waqaf for a gambling house, for yes. example. Right, to say I, I dedicate this grounds for a gambling house, that waqaf will be null and void mm. because the, the activity will not be lawful. Mm. So those are some of the issues. There are some other uh, things that, that one can discuss. But like I said, it's lots of detail which perhaps I, I won't be able to share over, air, over the air, but mm. this person can either uh, consult a scholar or, or read up a bit more. Or if there is maybe a specific question mm. with regards to waqaf, then maybe they can pose that question. And if we are able to respond, we will respond, inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My daughter wants to make hula, uh, exit the marriage with uh, valid reasons. What is the idea period? And does she have to stay with the husband, the husband for this period? Shukran. Yeah, the khula' uh, first just to explain what the khula' is. The khula' is a type of divorce. So it's a, it's a divorce that the husband gives uh, to the wife. Mm-hmm. But it's a divorce with a slight difference. And the difference is that the khula' is a principle whereby uh, the divorce is given, but some monetary value is given back from the wife's side to the husband. So the wife pays the husband mm-hmm. a certain sum in order for him to release her. Mm. Okay. And this sometimes happens if the husband feels he didn't do anything wrong in the marriage and why mm. should he divorce, etc. Mm. While the wife wants out of the marriage. So, and she maybe don't have a, a real justification to come out of the marriage. He didn't ill-treat her. We didn't uh, for, for, uh, forsake her, a nafaka or stuff like that. But she still wants to come out. So he may, she may then tell him, look, uh, I'll, I'll give you a certain amount of money, you know, as a settlement. To come out of the marriage This is allowed in Islam It's a basically a, a divorce upon settlement uh, uh, And all other aspects of divorce Will be exactly the same Okay, In terms of the idda period mm. In terms of uh, You know uh, She remaining in the house And all of that All of that will be the same As a normal Normal talaq Okay The only major difference That I have to uh, just mention With regards to a khula' uh, This type of talaq Is considered to be A more serious type of talaq Than just the ordinary talaq In the sense that If a husband gives A first or second talaq To his wife Then they have During the idda period They still have Some room for reconciliation They can actually make up 
and they can get back together even without remarrying, mm. if it's a normal talaq, one or two. Obviously, after a third talaq, normal talaq, they can't get back together except she must marry someone else and all that. We know that whole story. In the case of khula' on the other hand, khula' is considered what the, the, the scholars term to be a talaq, which is ba'in. Ba'in means it's, it's final in the sense that once a khula' has been agreed upon, and that money has been paid from the wife to the husband, then this type of talaq do not allow, does not allow the couple to reconcile during the Idda period. They cannot just come back together hmm. if they wanted to. Right? So how do they get back together if they wanted to? They have to remarry. Even if it is a week after the khula took place, they have to remarry each other with a new contract, with a new dowry, with everything new. Okay? So... Um, so this is obviously to be considered when a person uh, goes into khula. But everything else, the period of idda will still be the three cycles. Uh, she still has the uh, the uh, ability to stay in the house. The husband don't have the right to put her out, for example. She can still stay in the house. And yes, the khula, if she needs to leave, for example, she's in the house and she needs to leave for necessity, for work purposes or to sustain herself, etc. She doesn't need the husband's permission to do that. Okay, because a khula, like I said, is a kind of a final talaq. So the husband doesn't really have any say over her going or coming. Okay, but she still needs to endure the idda, and she must only leave if need be. And if she leaves uh, under the khula uh, circumstances, she doesn't really need the permission of the husband to do so, because she is no longer under the wing of the husband as such, um, uh, because of the khula. That was passed. Shukran, yeah. Sheikh. And I think, uh, unfortunately, we have to leave the show um, right there for, for now. We'll continue with uh, your questions in our next edition next week. Same time, same place, between 6 and 7. And hopefully we'll get a full, just a few minutes extra to do the full show as well. But Jazakallah khair to you as well, Sheikh, and your family. I hope uh, that you and your family has a, a joyous Eid. Um, on the celebration of our hujaj finally completing their hajj inshallah and med will be accepted as well shukran jazilan to you sister hawa and the same goes to you as well and your family and obviously we make dua for all our families and friends and neighbors who perhaps are on hajj uh, they will obviously be concluding their ibadah inshallah and coming mm. back to our shores and so we make a special dua uh, in these blessed days that Allah Ta'ala grant them inshallah a hajj that is maqbool and mabrur and that also Allah Ta'ala grants those who have the yearning to go that that they also are allowed to go Amen. and that the entire ummah of Islam have a joyous Eid wherever they may find themselves and wherever they may be living. May Allah bless all of us inshallah during this period. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Amen. And from myself, Khawa Salaman, to my family as well, hope they have a joyous Eid uh, and uh, enjoy the day uh, very much so with the family and their loved ones. From myself, wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and a very good evening.